Hello, everybody. Welcome to another show. This is episode number 70. 70 episodes of the Apologue Podcast. Congratulations, me. Why, thank you. Awesome. This episode is brought to you by FetchClass.com. FetchClass.com is a teaching and learning system where you can teach and be taught in a video conference one-on-one. It's free to join. It's fun. And it's safer than driving across town. Right now it's snowing like crazy out and it's bad weather. And you can save all that by sitting in your room, connecting to fetchclass.com, enter your classroom, be taught by a real teacher on the other side. I've been teasing this, but I think I might open it up to not just music, but if you have anything you want to teach and you want to be a part of this, please contact me through the contact page at apologue.ca. If you're interested in teaching something, Come on by, and I will see if I can make your teaching dreams come true. Ba-ba! Also, InsightRecorders.com is a place for you to send your mixes. If you have an album, and you've recorded it in your basement, and you think it sounds pretty darn cool, send it to InsightRecorders.com and have it sound even cooler. It's really good that you have your little studio in your basement, but I have an even bigger studio in my basement, and I can mix it, and you'll be very impressed with the results. If you don't, you don't have to pay for it. How about that? Affiliate programs, everybody. First one, banggood.com. B-A-N-G-G-O-O-D.com. It's it's like the crazy uncle of Amazon. And what it is, is you can essentially go log on to banggood.com and buy anything you want for a fraction of the price you would normally pay everywhere else. Go to applelog.ca and click on the Banggood banner. Shop, and you will be supporting the show by shopping. It doesn't cost any money. Same with Musician's Friend. It's not just that dude with the van. Musician's Friend is a place for a musician to go buy things for a fraction of the price and cheaper and have it delivered to your front door. Because we all know that musicians, they don't like to travel around much. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a lie amazon.com.ca or .co.uk click on those banners bookmark those banners support the show and this is kind of neat what you can buy from amazon is actually very cool and they have this thing where you you order it and it comes to you the very next day it's out of this world it's amazing Amazon.com is is like like I said it's 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 much more legitimate than Banggood, but at least Banggood you can get lots of crazy weird things. And just go to both those places and you'll find out what I mean. But don't forget to click through those banners first and bookmark them. While you're on the Applelog.ca site, click on the shop button and go shopping. You can purchase a T-shirt, which will be delivered to you if you're in my area. That's within driving distance. So within the Durham region area, you'll get a T-shirt dropped off in your mailbox. You can also pre-order my acoustic album that I'm working on. That's very cool. And also you can purchase the complete Foursquare, my band's discography for $20. That's 50 songs. It's better and that's cheaper than iTunes, believe me. Patreon.com slash is the place to go if you want to help the show out on a monthly basis. You can pledge as little or as much as you want. You can cancel any time. It supports gas fees and hosting fees. I have two awesome patrons, Michael Pitts and Curtis Pippin. And I know I joked, but they do sound like hobbits' names, don't they? Michael Pitts, get out the shire. You're in me potatoes. You know, stuff like that. Facebook.com slash Pod is a place to go like the show. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Don't forget to subscribe, rate the show, and review in iTunes. 
within the podcast app. It's a little more convoluted, but if you're on the on the podcast app, you can go search out Apple Podcast, rate and review the show, give it five stars, and help the show out. It'd be very, very cool. It helps with the placement and things like that. Don't forget to tell friends, too. If you have friends that like hearing mid-40-year-old dudes prattle on about punk rock and what it used to be like in the old days, then this sounds like this is the podcast for you. Thanks so much. My guest today is Jim Bryson. Jim Bryson and I go back over 20 years. We met while he was in a band called Punch Buggy. And Punch Buggy used to be a band called Uncommon Society. And that's sort of Ottawa. Ottawa's answer to what an independent punk rock band was, which toured around. They didn't necessarily stay in Ottawa. They were all over North America. And I remember my band, we would follow them around North America and we would never quite catch up to them while I was in this band called Red Fisher. Jim is a has a new record out, which is called Somewhere We Will Find Our Place. It's a long word. He wrote it and recorded it in his own studio in his backyard. We get to listen to it a little bit on in the interview, but let me take you right now into our little conversation with Mr. Jim Bryson. Check it out. I've got a new I've got a new uh, interviewing style where when somebody asks me something about my music and they ask me how is it different, I say, "How do you think it's different?" <laughs> Don't turn it around on <laughs> or me. Or I turn the interview around, and it's really good for people that have never listened to your music, but have just like read your Wikipedia page. I did an interview on um, Calgary. I actually felt bad. Yeah. Uh, but I did an interview last. When was it? I was out there for something during the Calgary Folk Festival last summer, and the woman interviewing me did an introduction to me, and she said, "Welcome to." This. She said, "And Jim Bryson." I said, "You did an excellent job at reading my bio." <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized, "Oh my god!" And I said, "Oh my god!" I sound like such a jerk. <laughs> I just meant that like really lighthearted. Did but she... she had just basically read my bio off the internet. You remember the old days of Q when uh, Gian used to just just prattle on about who you were, what you did, and yeah, and more people would at the end of the day would go uh, at the end of the introduction would go, oh, I guess we're done here. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, well, you know, he did those crazy introductions that uh, that um. You know, I, I'm not sure uh, if, uh, you know, it's it's very... I, I knew a guy that worked on Q and, and wrote the intros. Oh. So, um, <clears throat> so at least co-wrote, you know, like, I don't know. I don't think it was a ghostwriter or anything, but I... But um, I think with any of those those things, I think there's a lot of more people involved than, uh, than the voice you hear, right? So... You know... In all honesty, how is one person going to know so much? How does that, how, do, how does one person know so much about one other person that he's talking to <clears throat> that he's met for the first time, right? That's true. You know what I always like is I listen on Sundays to um, to Michael Enright on CBC. Mm-hmm. And he always says, very nice to meet you on the radio. <laughs> to the people that aren't in person. Because <clears throat> I have, you know, he'll interview people from wherever the studios are or whatever, but he, he always says, very nice to meet you on the radio. And I always think that's really classy. It is pretty classy. That he's not, he's not, 
trying, you know, he's not alluding to that, some, you know, that, you know, it, and it also creates a, a slight distance in it that it's, you know, it, it, um, that it's not like they're best of friends, you know? That's so true. he's saying, nice to meet you on the radio. Well, it is nice to say, though. I, you know, yeah. it, it's a tough gig interviewing because luckily I know a bunch of people. So luckily I can interview people I know and I know a little bit about them and I have a bit of a history. But when I have to interview people that I don't know, it becomes a bit of a struggle because you have to read up on them. You can't look like a complete boob, you know, especially when the genre yeah, I mean, is like, you know, uh, um, a garage psychobilly, which is I know nothing about. I don't know anything yeah. about that. My, I have no pompadour. I watch horror movies. I have an, I have an affection for them. But it doesn't mean I want to put it on my stand-up base, you know what I mean, and, and clickety clack yeah. away. That's not my my thing. But so you kind of have to show a little bit of respect by sort of looking into. Well, I think you have to do your research. Yeah, and, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, any any great interview, whether it's you know, I always love I love I love the the sound of a good interview. You know, I I listen a lot to this NPR show called Fresh Air, which is oh, yeah. this woman Terry Gross, and you probably know her, and mm-hmm. and um. Just her interviews are so, you know, they're really comfortable, yet they're also, you know, she keeps that, uh, you can tell she's done her research and she's comfortable and she doesn't, you know, doesn't break into fandom or anything. I heard a story that she doesn't like to be in the same room as people. She likes to be in her own room when she interviews. Yeah, that's sort of a thing now, but now that we're in sort of this global community where we can do what we're doing right now and have real-time communication, we're like a few steps away from actually doing it like with holograms or something, you know, where we actually can feel like we're in the same room. Yeah. So when she's interviewing somebody in the same studio, they don't sit in the same room as her. Really? Yeah. I think she's in one room and they're in the other. Like, I don't know if it's in the other side of the glass or something, but. Uh, (laughs) I did an interview once where the guy had his back turned to me and, uh, and he was in the other room, like in the studio talking into his mic away from me and i was sort of looking at him going i'm here i'm over here and then like we're playing music and then the half a little bit a chunk of the first song would come on and then he would just sort of like okay moving on so it, it was like we didn't listen to that <laughs> you know how are we how are we going to develop a conversation based on oh that? really yeah it was very strange but, maybe he assumed that you had already listened to everything and why would you so you do all the, this is like real time. So when we listen to a song, like we're going to listen to a song. That's right. So there's a little you're not inserting. You're not inserting post-production. I don't believe in that. What I do is I, I actually, it's fun to play the music and then talk to the person at the same time. Yeah. And then, and then I'll put the song like in without us nattering over top of it because yeah. uh, it gives it a, a neat flow. And I don't pretend to know everything about interviewing people, but um, I feel that it's a better flow going into the next topic because that's all this yeah. is really it's it's talking it's what we're missing in life right oh yeah conversations mm-hmm. yeah I, everything's and i came out of the gate talking about your record like i thought you'd maybe want to talk about it oh yeah i'm i'm good i'm happy to talk about it <laughs> i just like that i i i want i did the what do you think I think it's awesome. I know you very well, yeah. you know, and I, I know yeah. I know a little bit about you, you know, because we do kind of go back into the nineties. I would say early, yeah, early to mid nineties. Yeah, really, yeah, but like the night somewhere like nineteen ninety three, I think I met you. Mm-hmm. The punch buggy days, right? 
And Red Fisher. Red Fisher. I was trying to remember what Punch Buggy was before it was Punch Buggy. Was it Uncommon Society? Uncommon Society. There you go. I figured it out. And then I actually was only in Punch Buggy for, I think, about two calendar years. Still, that's a lifetime when you're 23. It's a lifetime when you're that age. And also, you're, because I, somebody, I did an interview today with um, Exclaim Magazine. The person asked me, said, oh, well, you weren't in you were in this band punch but you weren't in it for very long i said no but i'm sure we did like 200 shows yeah in the time i was there we did at least 100 shows a year when i was in that band and it wasn't just local montreal to ottawa shows it was no it was all over mostly North America. in the states yeah all over i and remember was, following you guys like when i was with red fisher like yeah, this band on Uncon- Common Society just came through, and we're like, awesome, cool, you know what I mean? And then the next year, I think, and then the next year it was Punch Buggy, but everybody was so yeah. stoked that that was like this other. And they kind of had these pockets, right? Like it was, it was very interesting because it was all booked. It was all booked through like the Maximum Rock and Roll. Book your own fucking book life. Your own, yeah, yeah. So it was all booked through that, and then um, so some of the shows you know, started that way. And then by the time it was punch buggy, it would be, um, you know, that Andrew who booked the shows, the, one of the singers, you know, these were like return shows. Like there was, there was, there was places like in, in like Texas that we would go and play. And there'd be like 300 people at the shows at these all ages hall shows Mm -hmm. for no reason, like other Mm -hmm. than, other than it was built up through relationships and stuff, you know? It was the good old days of all ages, which at the very beginnings of all ages, my my opinion was was being able to sort of do something like that because bar shows weren't really that available. All ages shows aren't a new thing. We didn't invent it. But it seemed like they no. peaked, right? Like around that time, because Red Fisher too were doing shows in Winnipeg to same thing, big numbers and, and people that, I, it was a weird thing for me, but to see so many people at an all ages show and it, I haven't really seen oh, it yeah. come back. I mean, what I, was I, crazy is that you could do a show and, and like Red Fisher, or whoever it would be like punch buggy or whoever you did fill, fill in the blank. You could be, you know, thousands of miles from home and there'd be this person that just happened to be really good at putting on shows Yeah, and they would have a really it'd be their community, you know, like we were, it was, that's what it's called. This is called Lake Jackson, Texas. Okay. And we would play and there'd be like three or 400 people at the shows, <laughs> like more than once. Yeah. Not just like, wow, we had this weird show, yeah. you know, and, and like you'd sell a bunch of records and, and, and then you'd, you know, and, and it'd be that, you know, it's not like you had a lot of expenses because you never stayed in hotels or no, anything. No, that's probably like one of those ones that we keep you going for the next couple of days or weeks with gas oh, yeah. and everything. Yeah, we had one town in, in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, that was like, like we felt like Bon Jovi for, a, for for one show, and we took as much merch as we possibly could to on this tour, and we sold it all on the first show. <laughs> so we had no no merch for years yeah, for the whole rest of the tour. But we sold it all. That's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, trying to find merch and, and all that stuff was, you know, in the States. It's so funny. Like, it, like you guys would literally be two weeks ahead of us. And we're like, hey, that's. <laughs> yeah, like in Wisconsin and things like that, right? Yeah. 
for sure especially and down the west places. coast west coast stuff too like um um uh, sacramento and then parts of la and things oh yeah because we use the same method of booking shows we would yeah. book them like two weeks in advance we'd already be on tour and, and like new mexico was there was always there's all these pockets right mm-hmm. where you'd have a few terrible shows so you could get to that pocket yeah <laughs> yeah i remember driving all the way across america to get to florida and missing it by to the get big, to that pocket you had to get that one show <laughs> dave sams you remember dave sams i never i mean i know that name he lived in ottawa for a little while he was part of that sean scallon straight edge sort of vegan oh, yeah, yeah. crew yeah yeah i think he lived in ottawa but i remember seeing him in Ottawa a bunch of times and he put on a show for us in Florida and we drove all the way across from LA and we stopped in New Orleans for about four hours. And that's the exact amount of time we missed the show in, in Florida. About four hours. <laughs> about four hours. Yeah. yeah. We drove from Vancouver to, to Ottawa to make a show. <laughs> we, uh, and wait, what happened was we, um, we blew a transmission. So this guy lent us his van so we could go, into the interior, the transmission guy, into the interior and finish our shows. Yeah. And, um, and so we, uh, one sec. Okay. Just turning off my text messages. Um, and so what we had to do is after we finished our shows in the interior, we had to come back to Vancouver where my brother lived. And then in the mornings, a couple of the guys got up and took the ferry, switched vans, got back on the ferry, got us, and then we drove to Ottawa with like five drivers, right? So yeah, yeah. You, you'd, you'd barely even sit down and have a meal. Yeah. And you drive across the country. Yeah. I did that once with um, Mark Spickalak from Closet Monster. We drove, we, we drove straight from Vancouver to Toronto in 48 and a half hours. I was going to say, yeah, we because we made it to Ottawa in like 47 or 48 hours. Yeah. And it's doable. I, I've had a lot of arguments with people saying it's it can't be done. But when two people are driving, you just stop for gas and. Bathrooms. Well, when two, it's yeah, it's it's hard. But with a, a van full of guys, it's no problem, right? Yeah. Especially because a loft, you know, we had a old futon over the gear, and uh, so two people would be sleeping all the time, and then it'd be like everyone would do the big switch, and you get gas, and and it was the time of year where it wasn't too hot, so yeah. you didn't have to worry about. I mean, I remember a tour we went on where we, we had like four flat tires <laughs> on the same tour and then never had another one again. <laughs> <laughs> got them all. But it was like we got so sick. I remember because they got this weird, those guys bought this weird sort of semi-customized van that had like a tire, like a uh, a metal tire cover thing. Yeah. And after like the fourth one, the guy who had, bought the van and it was his in, in his name he just chucked it in a dumpster <laughs> he's like fuck this don't need it <laughs> i'm not doing this every every two weeks i had a flat one so with a rented van we were renting a van and we were in thunder bay and we got a flat and i go oh it's cool i'll just change the tire and i take the spare tire down and it's completely like you know when the tire blows out and it's just like oh, yeah. that's what was yeah. left for me so i had two flat tires so um, I had to buy two brand new tires. Luckily, it was rented, so I could get the money back. But uh, do you miss those days? Do you miss like those days of just no real cares and like taking off for the summer? Like, how does that affect you? I mean, it, sh- it shapes who we are, right? Yeah, I mean, I like some of it. Um, I remember the first trip I went on was the first tour I ever went on was six weeks, and I thought, "Whoa, this! I do not. I'm not really liking this." <laughs> I always, I always like, I like shorter trips because. 
I always found the halfway point was like, then it was, it was all easy after that, mm-hmm. but it really, de- I think it depended on whatever my state of mind is. I mean, I'm someone that sort of suffered from a certain amount of depression and things like that. And, and so, uh, so, you know, I think that sometimes those long trips, I mean, then I didn't even realize what it was then, but then, uh, you know, I realized it was sort of that kind of stuff that I am a bit of a homebody who happens to travel a lot. <laughs> so yeah. now, was but it- there were definitely great, great, great trips. Oh yeah, definitely. It's uh, there's something about that first four hours of driving to the first gig kind of thing. Like I, I'll never forget it because it's like it's so exciting. Although you've done it a hundred times, it feels so fresh and new. And and you know, I'd always have a little. Um, I'd always play Sunvolt's Trace. You know, to that's get me- so funny that you mentioned that because I have really strong recollections of driving as the um, overnight as the sun was coming up and listening to uncle Tupelo's anodyne. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 I And trace and, and, and right around that time when trace and AM were out and those records and, but anodyne and we, of course we had to have it taped, right. We had it on cause nobody had a CD player in there. Band. Nothing would get, nothing could dare get so fancy as that. <laughs> but, um, and I, I do remember one, one thing that those guys did is that, I was into pavement and they weren't really into pavement and I bought pavements. Wowie's Zowie at a record store on the, in Oregon in Portland or somewhere around there. And, um, they hated it. So it just went missing. <laughs> like they basically just threw it out the window one day. Oh, that's not nice. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was very rare that you would go and buy cassette at a store, you know? Yeah. You'd always like have a, a pre-recorded tape. cassette. Yeah. Cause you'd have it on vinyl and record it. Yeah. But I bought it. It was like, Oh, this record had just come out. So I was on tour and I bought it. And one of them, one of them threw it out. I had a moment where, um, we were driving in the red Fisher van and our stereo wasn't even put in the dash. It was, it was my old stereo from my van that I took out and we just installed real fast before we left and we never put it in the dash. And I remember doing this night, this all night, half the day drive and they started turning the music up and I'm like, I'm going to throw this out the fucking window. Like if you don't like turn the whole this, stereo, the whole stereo is going out the window. It's mine. I don't care. And we still had four weeks to do on the tour. And, um, I remember Rob Kowalik, who was our buddy who was driving around with us. He's like, do it. I'm like, oh, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to throwing. And it was because it was your stereo. It was my stereo. And yeah. then I thought about it. I'm like, are we going to be without music? for the next four weeks. And the answer was I, I did, you know, I just said, turn it down. But that was, that was always the moment, right? Like if you ever done the all night drive and then you just want to crash and then everybody wakes up, it's, it's not fun. You know what I, I used to do a lot on, on, as I used to have a, um, like I'd buy gas station flashlights and I'd read in the dark. Oh, okay. And that like, and I'd sort of, you know, you seem to get energized at about three or four o'clock in the morning. And from there you're up until you're up till light, right? From there. Yeah. I always end up getting stuck with the overnight, like the, the 12 to six in the morning. Yeah. That was just because I didn't trust anybody. <laughs> it's true that, um, you know, uh, someone was telling me that John Sampson always wanted to drive. And they never let him? No, no. The, uh, he did a lot of the driving when, when they were in vans. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he really, li- just that he really likes driving. Really? 
when um we played with them in Europe and they had a driver, Ollie. Ollie, what was his name? Ollie? No, his name wasn't Ollie. Can't remember his like name. Like in a splitter van over there. Yeah, a splinter. Yeah, yeah, that'd probably be different. But I think when because he used to own the van, right? Okay. That van. He always drove around and because he had the van for his publishing company and stuff. And I don't know if he used it for weaker than stuff, but mm-hmm. he told me he always liked to drive, that he loved driving. Makes sense, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, I guess so. And what else are you gonna do? He'd write songs and smoke. That's what he did, right? I don't think he'd write any songs in a van. <laughs> Not while driving, anyways. He did he used to smoke a lot, though. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, he when he quit, I was like, "Wow, that's uh, that's impressive." Yeah. Anybody can quit if John K. Sampson could quit smoking for sure. Nicorette. He's like the the Nicorette gum guy. When I quit smoking, I tried the patch, and yeah. Uh, if you want to write a book or a novel or a murder mystery, put the patch on and go to sleep. Oh, because it's really oh, yeah, it's heavy stuff. You're a smoker now. You're not a you don't no, smoke now, do you? No, no, I've no. long quit. Yeah, and I feel good I for never, it. Did you ever yeah. smoke cigarettes? No, I was like a fake, fake party smoker. You know, like yeah, I'd have like six beers and I want to have ten cigarettes, <laughs> but I never like no. I was always a social smoker. Did you inhale? Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I did. Playing in the weaker dance must have been fun. I I, I was envious of you because I was like, God, when's my when's my number coming up? When do I get to play in the weaker dance? <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, because I because I got to do uh, open a tour for the weaker dance, which was great. And then I got to go on tour and sort of be the be in the band, which was great. And then I got to make a record with them and go on tour and have be a band with them so yeah. i've had three different variations of uh of um traveling with them it's um that's a band that had some uh some some work ethic man still well, you know they, it's where i sort of hold in high regard of chaos oh, yeah. chaos especially with all the different people in that band and uh your role was the multi-instrumentalist, wasn't it? It was like you were kind of playing... It was just on a tour, yeah. It yeah. wasn't really like a... Uh, I wasn't part of the band or anything. No, I just I just went on tour and... Do you want the heat turned up? It's no, I'm fine. Dial. Oh, wait. <laughs> no. I keep the heat really low because I like to... I like to see the... I like to see the... Um, I like to see the results. You know? What, I'm like breath? one of these... No, I have one of these thermostats that uh, that um, that I can see what our energy use is every day. Oh, is it a Nest or something? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh. I bought one on sale. Those are the guys that sale. created um, part of the iPhone. You know that, right? Really? Yes, yeah, I did. Apple engineers are part of that. Nest. Yeah, I know. I found that out after I read, because I have one of their cameras in my studio as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I like that they all it all kind of works in one sort of system and it gives you your it's monthly helpful. report doesn't it doesn't it? my buddy's got one too my buddy al's got one yeah of uh i haven't even had it for a month i'm only on my third week how much you saved i don't know it just tells me how many hours my furnace has been on oh okay yeah, yeah what is sort but of like it's... what is what is the how much like because i don't know i just hear my furnace turn on but what's the average at your place what happens there like every other Between minute? six and seven hours? Yeah. A day. A day. It's just wow. pretty good. That's pretty good, I guess, if you're natural gas. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's what we're on, because I just got a new furnace. Yeah. 
but um um but when nobody's in the house i turn it down to like 64 or 65 fahrenheit does it know when people are in the house is that how that works too yeah. like if it well, it's got an auto thing, yeah right? it's got an auto it's got an auto away so if there's no movement it, it shuts it goes to auto away after a certain amount of time mm-hmm. now one might argue that it takes longer to and more energy to heat your house back up to normal temperature then from 65 to 68 is tough if you just kept it at 67 it might actually save you some uh energy uh that's that's a good argument to be made because on the weekends it doesn't dip down and yesterday yesterday i used as the same amount of ener- the same amount of furnace time as when i let the temperature drop down <laughs> there you go so maybe I should just leave it at 67 all the time, <laughs> except I can't really do that. I mean, people get home and they're not into that. We, we haven't. My some three-year-old can't, can't yeah. really <laughs> complain. Seeing the breath might be a little bit of a, you know, a tell that your dad's a bit of a cheapskate. It's not even that. I've got no problem spending lots of money. I just, I like this. I like seeing a deal present itself in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. I know. It just did. <laughs> Man, enough of hot furnace talk. God damn it. Yeah. Let's um let's Home hear a, talk. Yeah, age. Let's hear a song. Cigarette Thin off of your new album that Yeah. Yeah, and I I you know um I'm so I'm happy to be a part of listening to it before everybody else can. That's all I can say cuz um oh. I uh yeah. there's some really good Who knows how many everybody else's there are really. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, that's yet to be determined because the album comes out. That's... It should be out by now. So, uh, yeah, know, you know, do you have like a, a yearning for like Bon Jovi success? Is this something? Or, or do you? What's your What's your look on music and success? What would be my ideal scenario? Yeah, I think that if I could play shows that and people came to the shows and were aware of who I was in a in in a lot of different places that would feel like it's going good. That's success. Or not, not, not that it was going good, but that's, yeah, just sort of being able to play and, and, and have that be worthwhile. And I mean, so I, I'm, but it works out for me either way, because I sort of now I don't go on tours where I play shows in empty rooms and things like that. I just don't bother. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't bother, but I just don't really see the 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 not the point, but just actually the value in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd rather play less shows and have them be better shows than play more shows just so somebody could see on my website or on whatever it is they're looking at that oh my god, he plays a lot of shows. I mean, it's not really a it's not a pissing contest about playing shows or anything, but I, I just rather do some shows and have them all be rewarding yeah and and that's success so you know i I think though that i spent a lot of time playing as a side person and i think that that affected a little bit about what i did because when once i got known as a side person then it's a little bit of a it's not a kiss of death but it's definitely a oh it's a side person making a record yeah i know you i know the feeling it's just almost as bad as a sound guy making a record yeah, no, that's worse. <laughs> Believe me, I know that's worse. You know that guy, he's a hell of a sound guy. 
Not much of a songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it sort of, it, it became like being a side person didn't, wasn't a plan. So it's just, yeah, I just sort of went with it. And also I'm a practical guy. Like, I mean, I've been able, it allowed me to not have a day job and I'm not very good at day jobs necessarily and mm-hmm. the schedules of them and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you make your choices and your compromises and things like that. And I think the, the great thing about the studio, I mean, it's not, I think I told you the last time we talked, it's not like a studio studio. It's not like a, you know, a place. It's like a fun that, house, right? It's just sort of a place where I, where I work out of. It's not a studio in the way that it's a studio where I have an engineer that works. If I'm not there and I, it has to be booked up all the time. And mm-hmm. It doesn't really, it doesn't really operate like that. It's more of a workshop that I work on projects with people or mix things or record things, but it's, it's, it's just not, you know, I was trying to say it's, you know, I don't know the right way to say that it's real, but it's just not somewhere where, I have to make sure it's booked up all the time. It's not that kind of studio. It doesn't have a board and yeah, but the great, I really so far touch wood always. Um, I do like the relationship between doing my music and doing the studio versus, you know, at least now it that all that might change, but I like it more than going away on tour a lot as a side person. Also, um, recording other people's music and people that you respect it gives you a different outlook on what your music is gives you perspective and gives you an idea of you know directions and insight into how other people work which i think everybody learns by watching other people work right yeah and as as somebody who feels creative and and is has you know as as somebody i think there's if you make if you're quote unquote a solo artist of some sort there's got to be some control things that you have that you enjoy being in control of things and having some decisions. And I think when you work on records where you're in a production role, it's exciting because you get to throw around ideas and, and have people positively react to them, hopefully. Well, and it's also keeping your brain exercised because if you, yeah. if you did like a nine to five, even if you worked in a gas station, you're going to not have your head really into music. You're going to be worried about, I don't know, other things other than music, but at least if your quote unquote trade is doing something music based, it keeps you close to yes. your trueness, I guess. I don't, I don't know the word. Absolutely. But it keeps you there, right? It keeps you in the action. That's why, well, I never took a job in an office. I tried when I was like 18 and it sucked. And I, you know, I, <laughs> but, but being able to stay close. I had to a part-time music. job at a university that uh, I worked during the summer, during like tuition rushes. Yeah, I had to work in the business office because my ex worked at the university and got me a job there, and I loved it. I worked for like three weeks, and I get paid fairly well, and I liked. I was like they they thought it was they thought it was interesting because there were very few men in the office, and they thought I was such an interesting, different kind of like, I wasn't like an office person. So I think they just thought it was like fresh blood or something, you know? <laughs> and I liked it. I, you know, they listened to really bad secretary rock and a couple of times I was like, Hey, well, maybe we should put on, you guys ever put on the CBC? 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, sure, let's try it out. And then I put it on. It was probably back in the time when Sheila Rogers had a show. And they're like, how can you listen to somebody just talk? <laughs> <laughs> really? This isn't, yeah. uh, this isn't Peter Cetera. Yeah, no, exactly. So yeah, like it was like Peter Cetera. And I remember Sean Scallon came up to, uh, I was working and I, he didn't come up to my window, thank God. Like it was during, and he talked about um, something about some kind of tuition issue he had. And they said, um, they, he wasn't getting an answer to the one. He said, well, you know what? I'm just withdrawing from all my courses. Just give me a, a <laughs> refund. And they said, well, at this point, um, because you've it's gone this far, like there'll be a you only get this percentage back. Oh, and he was getting really mad, and I was like, "Please don't see me! Please no. don't see me! I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only working a summer job." <laughs> and Sean can be pretty, uh, pretty abrasive when he wants to be pretty direct. Yeah, pretty direct. Says exactly how he yeah. feels. That's for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. he's it's all right. He's a good guy to call on it though. He's he he can. He can take it too. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. All those. And we're talking about for those who don't know who we're talking about. It feels like we're just talking. But Sean Scallon is a very prominent music person in Ottawa who put on shows early days. Still like, does. Still does. And and is very in tune with political activism and straight edge and veganism. But at the same time, will put on any show that he wants to put on. He's a super solid guy. I don't talk to him enough. But he's a great guy. I would say that you would, I think the industry term, and he is the promoter on record for many, many people that would come through Ottawa. Absolutely. I love to watch Steve Carroll from the Week of Ends go through Sean Scallon's sheets of charges. <laughs> oh, yeah. Steve is a, you know, there's there's nobody better at um, at making sure that the band is getting the best deal possible. Steve than, Carroll than Steve. of the weaker than absolutely. Yes, yeah. Ab- yeah. Yes. So he'd be like on the phone and he'd be like, what is Sean? What? We don't need this. We don't. Why do we have this? <laughs> and he'd like call Sean. Okay. Take this. Out, take this. And we don't need this. Why do we have this? Oh. Why do you have this guy doing this and this? <laughs> it, it was really nice. It was actually excellent to be in the seat in front and listen to it kind of happen. Oh, he's definitely, yeah. Also, he offered um, my band 50 euros a night to open up for the Weaker Thans in Europe. <laughs> and we took it. We were, yeah. we were dumb enough to take it, but... Uh, yeah, well. Yeah. But I have my favorite Steve Carroll story. I, I have two, but I'm going to tell you my favorite one. Weaker Thans, they used to stay at my house or, or my apartment or wherever I was living at the time, whenever they came through town. And one night... Toronto. In yeah. Toronto, yeah. And one yeah. night, um, we decided to get completely annihilated intoxicated and steve was just not into partying he was very you know his eye was always on the prize he was never <laughs> he was definitely um he wasn't and if he was it wasn't in my place so um so he decided he's sleeping in my control room of my studio and we are hooping it up one one room away and he decides because i gotta go to he's going to the bathroom so he walked through everybody stopped talking as he walked through went in the bathroom and Jason Tate had, I had bottle rockets. So Jason and I started putting bottle rockets under the bathroom door while Steve was going to the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, Jason has a real thing for fireworks and pyrotechnics. Yeah. Right? So we decided that we were going to like light a couple. And it was, it wasn't just me, Steve Carroll. So it was Jason too, but he was so mm. pissed off. Cause next morning he was like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. And, um, 
he was very upset. But you know what? It was fun. It was a very good time. When I I played the Vinyl Cafe, which is Stuart McLean, yeah, and uh, and Jason Tate came with me, and Stuart McLean's an awesome guy, and <clears throat> and it was right before my record with those guys came out, so it was Greg Smith, Jason, and I, and then it wasn't Steve because he wasn't in Toronto, so my friend Gord, who plays guitar with Sarah Harmer and Kathleen Edwards. <clears throat> played guitar and we we were up there and Jason brought fire, lots of fireworks with him just you know small amounts of fireworks and we're playing at a we're playing on Manitoulin Island and shows at a high school and Jason's like letting off fireworks in the high school in the high school parking lot as we're you know as we're leaving and we get back to the cabin after because they always do two nights they do a warm-up night and a real show night and the first night each and we were staying in these cabins and it, it was really beautiful and the weather was really nice. It was June and we were having bonfires. And Jason's lighting off fireworks beside Sir McLean's cabin, basically. Oh shit! <clears throat> and um, Jason's wife is the music director Julie, of the Bono Cafe, so yeah. I'm sure he's he's. I, I don't even know if it's whatever. So he's letting it off, and Gord Tuff said the funniest thing to me, and I said. Yeah, I, I we just looked at each other and thought, well, I, I don't know if I'd be setting off fireworks there. And Gord said, well, you know, let's be honest, Jim. You know, like even if it goes well on this, there's going to be a lot of people that Stuart's going to have to go through before he gets back to having you back on the show anyway. <laughs> so whether it goes bad or good, it's going to be quite a while before you're back on the show. <laughs> and <laughs> how long was it? Well, I haven't been back on the <laughs> oh, show, no. but I, I don't know if it's anything. I haven't put it a record since then. So. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And Jason, yeah, Jason would go and spend as much money as he possibly could on fireworks. And then we would light them off in places and states we weren't supposed to be lighting off fireworks. Yeah. And uh, that was his thing. He was fun. He, he won, once he collected a liz- lizards and put them in the van, too, that was another one he did. And uh, he let the lizards go in the van. And I am terrified of lizards and reptiles in general and one jumped on my neck um, and i almost crashed the van yeah i almost crashed the van because i remember with with the weaker thans and we were actually in a bus i think and uh he would buy because he's really into pellet guns and stuff too right (laughs) bb guns yeah so he bought a pellet handgun or a bb gun a bb gun handgun yeah i don't think you can buy them in canada at that point so essentially it looks like a magnum or whatever like it looks like a whatever the one a glock whatever you load from the bottom sure okay so whatever that is and so he's got that and he's like we're crossing the board and he's like well i guess i better put this under the mattress of my bunk (laughs) it's like yeah that'd be good if they find a gun (laughs) under the (laughs) but we would i remember we were in victoria like after shows we would we would take the water bottles from the water bottles that the water that they give you and we would line them all up and we would do we would have like shooting contests <laughs> and i remember we were doing it in calgary outside of the university like the the because it was at McEwen hall their show yeah so outside of the university center in the loading bay and we were like shooting guns or shooting a a BB gun, so it's not very loud. Like a but, real gun, though. Like basically. No, there's like a photo of me with a hoodie on with a cigarette hanging out, out of my mouth shooting a gun. No, I mean, that's that's a pretty good look, I guess. <laughs> and then in Victoria, we were shooting it from out of the window and placing water bottles 
on the garbage can in front of the convenience store that was a little bit away and we would hang the gun out the window of the bus and shoot at the um at the at off bottles off the garbage can top and one time a guy a guy he walked by and then he went whoa and he sort of was like and we we're like oh, it's just a bb gun <laughs> yeah man yeah it's so funny because the weaker lands are just sort of this if you look on the outside of what the wow. weaker lands are there's just these nice boys with uh, wow. nice intentions. No, those are just nice. Those are, those are nice stories. Those are nice stories. But I mean, if you take a gun that looks like a gun, it could go very south. And Jason also he bought mace on this one trip, and we almost had to use it down by Pizza Gigi's, down by um, just south of uh, Lee's Palace. There's a those that pizza's place on Wellesley. Oh yeah, yeah. Wellesley. Was it Wellesley? Can't remember. No, not on Wellesley. But uh, this dude came out to both of us. He wants to fight one or the other. And I could see Jason go in his hand in his pocket. He's ready just to mace this guy. And I'm like, God, I hope you have it pointing in the right direction. And <laughs> I, I kind of knew where he was going with it. And um, yeah. the guy walked away. So Jason's like, that guy had no idea how close he got. And yeah, good man. I haven't seen well, him in a long time. I, I miss Jason. I, I didn't see him much when he lived in Toronto, but um, he's back in Winnipeg. And uh, yeah, doing great. Built a. Uh... Built this, turned his garage into a studio. It's beautiful. Yeah, I saw some pictures of it. It's kind of similar to what you are. It's like a detached studio, right? Like, like <clears> a, yeah, a, it's a carport garage or a garage. Yeah. His would be a garage. Yeah, like a not a small, but whatever a Winnipeg backyard garage that would point onto an alley would be. Yeah, yeah, I've saw some mine, pictures. He I mean, they're enough. different sizes. Like mine, mine's somewhat bigger. I'd say. I'd say it's like. It has much higher ceilings. It's probably tw twice the size, I think, just because of the property I have and the ability I had to build and not be told I couldn't do it. Did you build fresh or, or did you use something? I built fresh. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Fresh lumber. Fresh slab, yeah. That's good. Fresh slab, fresh lumber. It's uh, yeah. it's definitely easier to do when you got something and you start from scratch because I, I built one out of a barn and I don't know. Under, I, I'm better at angles now, but if I knew... I don't, you know, you can tell that there's some offages <laughs> for sure. But a barn, that's great. So sizable. It is. It's uh, it's quite big, actually, too. It's about four, 18 by 20 feet control room, or sorry, live room, 16 by 16 control room. So it's uh, it's fairly sizable. Yeah. It's pretty big. Yeah, uh, so my, my whole space is 26 by 16. That's pretty big still. That's perfect. Yeah, is and so one, what I did it. Give a control room. It's too? One room. Yeah, all one no. room. Yeah, okay. No, I mean, just like I said, I don't record enough bands to to need one, right? Or to want one. Like I feel like I'd spend if I had a control room that I'd spend all my time in there, obviously, because that's where you spend all your time. Yep. And I would spend ninety percent of my time in thirty percent of the room. <laughs> so I decided not to. And then what I did is I built a little entryway that's just like six by four because my ceilings on the front half are like 14 feet oh cool or 13 feet yeah so i built a, a six by five entryway that's an iso booth as well and then it's eight feet tall and then the next four or five feet or six feet is storage Oh, so it wow. gives me a storage space because when you have a small space, it's yeah, hard you to... need you need some space to store. Yeah, 
I was going to build a podcast studio here in my house, and uh, we we I talked myself out of it because I'm just in my basement for the for for this stuff. But um, I I kind of enjoy having a little little room that's mine. At least it's mine. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. in my house. That that's something I really miss because my studio is about twenty minutes from here, and yours is just sort of in your backyard. Right? Oh, your studio's not at your place. No, it's okay. Unfortunately, I have to drive there, which is fine. But it's it's a great place once you get there. But when you need to yeah, get a coffee like 10, or whatever, it's a bit of a trip. It's like ten feet from ten <laughs> steps yeah. from my back door to the studio door. So Yep. There's been a lot of times I got my car with an idea in my head and I get all the way up there and go, Oh, what was that idea? Because I've been thinking about something else and then then uh, yeah. so how many songs are lost on that that trip is is probably Or just just even the idea too where you're at the end of a like you put your kids to bed and then you think Oh shit! I'm just gonna go out for an hour and, and do something. Yeah, that's actually a very Instead cool of... thing too, right? Because same thing—it goes back to the muscle in your brain and keeping it exercised and and keeping it free of clutter. Because that's the other thing too, right? With with writing songs is having clairvoyance enough to hear a song in your head to be able to go out and do it. You need that short distance to get there. Yeah, although you know, I don't, I don't ever work on songs that way. So I mean, the only way I work on song ideas is is with the voice memos in my phone and I, and and whatever instrument it is that that I've been mucking around with. Yeah. I find like if the, if I have to like get mics out and do all that kind of stuff like it's not going to be. <laughs> and it's always been that way. It's it's part of the reason why I was never I guess a four track guy because I never recorded I never I don't know, I never sort of fleshed things out. I always just would do stuff raw and then I would kind of dream about how it would sound or something. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. and it's very hard for me to take like, you know, cause I have a number of songs. It's very hard for me to, to pull that switch and to go out there and actually decide now is the time that I'm actually going to track some of this or something. So I usually just wait and, and I get either, you know, I get somebody to come and play a couple people to play and, and we work on them and mm-hmm. as sort of songs for something as opposed to like I don't really stockpile songs that are recorded. Yeah, well, I mean we're in a new age now where you can track something and have it completed almost near to point of mixing and it's good. You know, it's good enough to not good enough, but it's it's good to be on a record, you know, and moving yeah. on. And whereas back in the four track days you would have to go to a studio to record. Yeah. Unless you were happy with four track recordings which nobody was so you know yeah so i um i uh don't do a lot of recording unless i'm recording it for real i find it's more the more there's priorities in music like when i when i write a song there's some of them just suck and some of them i feel that oh this one's important so i actually start i get more jazzed about recording it properly so when it's finished it's almost to the point of this is the way it's going to be. This is the, yeah, this is yeah, be yeah. the album now. So the other ones I just leave in my memos, like you say, and then they'll, they'll find the light of day until it inspires me to, to do. But when something is really strong and it feels good and, and it has that sense of, you know, urgency, yeah, sort of... I'll just go and do it because I can't. And that's probably a, a relationship killer in my opinion sometimes, you know, cause it's like, well, I remember Joel Plask had said to me, because I said, oh, I worked really hard on the 
because I got so into it with the demos of one of my records that when it came to record my record, I felt like it, it was a lot of just, I was spending a lot of time redoing it. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, that's, you had, that's the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. You never want to be in a scenario where, um, where you're, um, <clears throat> where you have to redo stuff because then it's sort of like you're, you're, you know, not copying yourself, but you've already done the idea. Like, it's like the worst thing ever. You know, it's like, I remember, and I remember it's, it's a weird, weird analogy, but I remember being in school and typing out an essay and then going out and somehow the power went out. And this is where computers, I don't even know if they had, they'd have barely have hard drives, right? Yeah. So there's no auto saving. And basically the power went out and I lost an entire essay that was almost done. And it's like the concept of having to rewrite that and rethink and recompose and recompile thoughts and feelings and everything was seemed like the worst possible thing I could ever have to do. Yeah, you've you've basically hit it on the head. It's called demoitis. And uh Yeah. I was listening to a, a Neil Finn interview. And he was talking about, he was recording his last album, but he was talking about when he was doing vocals that he had demos already pretty much recorded for all the music and its completion. And he was in the studio and they finally, what they did is they took the demo off one of the songs, the vocal take, even though it wasn't even played to a click or anything. And they made that fit into the, into the new recorded version and it felt better, you know, because that was the initial feeling that he had put on tape with words and everything. And, I think well on one of the songs of my new record I had demoed it at home and I brought the demo for us to play to just to get a tempo and stuff just to get a feel and we ended up using the vocals and my rhythm guitar that I had just tracked the demo on because it was right that's the way it was supposed to be done yeah, I mean sometimes sometimes it's hard to re-sing stuff and have that same kind of connection or whatever, you know. Or not even the same connection, the same just that same the inflections in your voice and all those sort of things. All that stuff changes when you redo stuff, you know. Well, you definitely cuz you think, well, I have to try and make it better. And... Well, this, you just said that the problem, not the problem, but what happens is you think. Yeah. <laughs> and also, when you spend time with songs, um, melodies change, parts change, and it doesn't mean it makes it worse, but it makes it different. Mm-hmm. So if you sing a song and you go out and play it a whole bunch of times, and you've done a demo of it, and it's got this certain urgency, or not urgency, but this certain, whatever it is, I don't know, I don't know the word for it, but... Sure. It's got a, an immediacy about it that that is created by when you do something and it's fresh. And um, once it, uh, you know, once you've done something a number of times, like you settle into melodies different, and well, it's all kinds of it's all kinds of things that occur, right? I think the whole the whole Yankee Foxtrot Hotel is is them taking songs and just completely dissecting them and overthinking it, but read purposely going out of the way to try and screw them up to try and put them back together again that's because of the reason of well we we go to a studio we usually record and now we're not going to do that we're going to do something completely different and 
Well, a big thing that happened with that record too was that because Jim O'Rourke mixed that record, mm-hmm. is that he he decluttered the record and took a lot of parts out of it mm-hmm. that were in it. Mm-hmm. So, so when he, um, you know, did all the, uh, there was so much parts, so many parts, and so many different things that had gone on because Jay Bennett had worked on that record. Yeah. And Jim O'Rourke mixed it, and he a lot of what he did is just muted stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, it's true. He yeah. just he cleaned it up. That's the other thing too. With now we have computers with unlimited tracks. Is that it's well? I mean, it wasn't back then, but 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 getting lost in in no focus and letting no some... that 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 would be like Pro Tools era yeah. still. Well, it is now, but back then in the Yankee, they were using tape, but they were just doing multiple ideas and trying to mash them all together. But, you know, but Pro Tools... I think there's no way that record is all on tape. Yeah. I would argue. But the idea... Do you think they used... Do you think they used computers? I know they did for Summer Teeth. I know they totally used computers. Well, that was a big, big thing. And them. Yankees after that. That's right. Okay. 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 It's all making sense. Because I've seen it. You've seen the documentary, obviously, right? Where, yeah. Where they... Uh, they have that big argument in the control room and stuff. <laughs> this is like, oh yeah. my God, it felt so awkward. Or Jay Bennett. Or Jay Bennett. Yeah. Let's hear, let's hear a song. Uh, do you want to do that? Yeah. Okay, let's do this. Okay, Cigarette Thin.
know, I know We'll be coming up roses My love, my love, they're all I grow If it looks like I've seen a ghost I just want to go home If it looks like I've seen a ghost I just want to go home I was going to do it with the label and then it just became this smarter thing just to have it. Like, it's not like I have to warehouse and have a, like a, a, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not running a label. It's just more, I just have this sort of umbrella. That's my studio and my records and stuff now. And it just felt like, you know, I guess somebody would say I'm doing branding work or whatever, but just so that the things I do are under one umbrella whether it's studio work or whether it's, it's all just under the name fixed hinge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now the distribution, who, who's it, who, who and where is it being distributed? Well, it's being distributed um, like digitally sort of everywhere, but physically, I mean, it's so, I mean, physical records, you know, the amount of physical stores, it's physically being distributed in Canada. And then, you know, all the, will facilitate all the mail order and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then digitally it'll, it'll go to lots of different territories and stuff like that, I guess. Who's, who's, is Maple Music still on board? It is through Maple Music. Through yeah. Maple, yeah. It's, but it's through their thing called Fontana North, which is their distribu- distribution wing. Right. But the nice thing, it gives me access, like they have a really... They have a really good publicist and 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 uh, and that sort of stuff, and they work. They seem to really like this and think it's a good record and stuff. So we'll see. Like they, you know, they're going to work on it hard and and all that. So yeah, they say it's a new world, isn't it? With this, this digital distribution is there, but still people have that want for physical vinyl. They want a physical, but also the idea of purchasing it straight from you the person that made the music i think that's we're in a better position now to do that than we ever were right yeah i mean i think it could be argued that um that the uh that the um like obviously with cds going away i mean i'm waiting for the compact disc resurgence then because people will be like digital it sounds so good again no <laughs> yeah they're sick I and mean, tired arguably, of hearing mp3s I mean, and stuff huh? <laughs> i mean arguably you know as much as i think a big part of vinyls resurgence is fashion absolutely i mean it is i mean i i never stopped having vinyl i never stopped 
listening to vinyl and stuff, but I would say a lot of it's fashion, a lot of it's, you know, classic rock and things like that are selling a lot of records. Hmm. Dark Side of the Moon. It's still selling. It's been selling for 40 years, Dark Side of the Moon. I know. I, I could be on... I could be on the side of the argument to tell you that a that a 24-bit wave file. There's no way that a vinyl record can sound better than that. I could, you know. Yeah. You could. We could both say the science behind that, but I mean, I mean the physicality of music and how it feels and how vinyl is EQ different and all that and sure. compresses different and all that is uh, that's real too. So. Yeah, and here's a tough thing to take on walks is vinyl. <laughs> I know. And, Unless and, you have one, yeah, you need a portable record player for the beach. I, I um, I mean, one argument against the feeling of vinyl versus the feeling of MP3s is that if you're in the woods and you're walking and you're listening to your favorite song, everything just feels and sounds better when you're looking at beautiful scenery on your walk or you're doing something you enjoy doing. And those are coming out of speakers smaller than you know. Every, you know the smallest thing it's the feeling you get from music and that's sort of a that's sort of a slight against vinyl is that sure but you gotta be in your special easy chair and you gotta like you know clean the record it's a whole thing it's like i don't know i, ca- I can't subscribe and then most to people are just buying shitty crosleys and yeah they sound terrible and so this whole thing about the vinyl sounds better yeah vinyl sounds great if you have a an, an, a really nice setup but if you're buying a crosley at at Urban Outfitters, it's going to sound terrible because <laughs> they true. sound terrible. And I, I so. would hazard a guess that people who are real record mastering people, they have to be well into their 70s and 80s now, right? The guys that did it in the 80s, good, you know, I would, you, you one might say that the actual art of actual mastering vinyl might not be as good as it was 30 years ago because the people who used to do it are probably dead now. Yeah, I think there's some pretty good people doing it though yeah. now. And like the, and the lacquer cut is a big thing, right? It's the, yeah, it's the gauge or not the gauge, the, um, the weight of it and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I, I just like I said, if, if I'm in the woods and I'm listening to my favorite song, yeah, I'd rather no, hear it I in agree. the woods than than sitting in my easy chair with my kids sort of playing their video games beside me. <laughs> and I said to somebody today, uh, because I'm not a, I don't buy tons of records. Yeah, like I don't buy tons of music. I listen to a fair amount of music. I don't buy tons of records. But I tend to buy the kinds of things on record that I wouldn't listen to every day. Okay. I buy more jazz records. I buy like, like I was really excited because I bought the Goldberg variations mm-hmm. on vinyl, mono vinyl. You know, like I have, you know, pet sounds on a double mono stereo thing. And yeah, like if I go through, like there's some pop records, there's kids records, there's, there's like lots of bluegrass and lots of, it's, there's, Lots of records that are just not the kind of music that I would drive around and listen to in the car necessarily. Okay, yeah. So it's more definitely. of a it's more of a of um not that it's event listening, but I guess it is. But I mean I, I do have I do buy things if I'm I buy records when I travel, which is a bizarre concept to do because then you have to get them home. But they're heavy, yeah. Like yeah. I buy records on tour and, and things like that. And yeah, I, I'm still not sold. <laughs> 
I have all my vinyl sitting behind me in my behind the bar that I don't use, and all it does is store old computer gear. But um, I just, like I said, I would rather hear Dark Side of the Moon on iTunes. Sorry, you know. Yeah. That's controversy, everybody. <laughs> no, I, th- I th- and I think it's. I mean, other than that, Neil Young made a triangular digital music player, which Pono. is sort of like, yeah, it's like three-legged Levi's, right? <laughs> like I, who uh, makes it's like, a, is that a Toblerone bar in your pocket? <laughs> like, I mean, it's the most ridiculous, but, uh, you know, apparently it sounds great. And, yeah. you know, if I listen to 24-bit wave files, like, of mixes and things like that, like, and, like, the work that I do aside, like, it's it's subjective, but I mean those files, they sound amazing. Yeah, like I mixed, we mixed. Well, I didn't mix it, but uh, Dave Ogilvy mixed our first album in Vancouver on a in digital with an actual twenty four bit um, capture card, and he was backing it up on DAT at the same time. And when he was playing back the twenty four bit file versus the sixteen bit DAT file. It was it like on... day and night, how how much better the 24-bit sounded. It was like, gosh, this has got to get dumbed down the Who did What band was that that David Ogilvy mixed? He was uh, Foursquare. Foursquare's first album was uh, a oh, okay. Factor Grant. We went to Brian Adams' studio to mix it and blurt and produce it. And the Warehouse, yeah. That's funny. I mixed one song with him once. He's there. awesome, eh? He's awesome. Upstairs? It was right around the time that his house had burned down. Oh my God, yeah, out in the woods because the, the the forest fires. No, in Kelowna, not out in the woods. Like in a neighborhood in Kelowna. Yeah, well, he was out of town. Yeah, that's right, because he, he, he <laughs> there was all the forest fires, right? That's what did it. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh he's a good dude. I I'm um I was trying to get in touch with him about a year ago, but he's really hard to get a hold of. And I thought I got a hold of him. It was David Ogilvy, the artist that I was chatting to uh-huh. for an hour going, how you been? And he's like, fine. <laughs> it's like, Very interesting how much stuff he does with Trent Reznor. Oh yeah. He's he been, did at that time. Absolutely. He's been doing stuff for, I don't know if he still is, but he was, um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. that's a long time ago in music, 10 years now, especially, right? That's right. Yeah. He also mixed that, uh, Sloan album. Smeared? He smeared. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he mixed that, the, the, the Geffen release of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was fun to work with, and he's um and Slayer was recording right like one level below us. So wow. and I don't you remember the upstairs part of the the warehouse? Is it were you on the third floor in Studio Three? I was on the third floor in the corner with the huge SSL console. Yes, that's where we were too. And you could go it out. Has like the has like the um what do you call those compressors in there? The Fairchild. Uh, yeah, has Fairchild. <laughs> yes. You got those for us too, but you used to be able to go out of our lounge onto this deck where you could look out onto Studio One's uh, live room, and we watched Slayer track. Uh, I guess it was was it what was it? God hates us all or whatever Slayer album was. Matt Hyde was working on. That was a joy. It was awesome. It was like like big time stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that was a big time. Uh, that's a studio that did or does, I guess. Still, yeah, big stuff. Yeah, but you yeah, know. like I always tell studio people, right? It's like, like you have a studio. I'm like, no, 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 hold on, I don't have a studio. You're gonna come into my place and laugh if you think I have a studio. I have like twelve. I think I've like fourteen really good outboard preamps. Yeah, and a bunch of mics and some compressors and things like that. And and uh, 
a nice old Rogers drum kit and a beautiful Heinzman upright piano that's in really great shape and Kathleen's. She leaves stuff that she that she doesn't use, which is nice. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sold. What's your rates, man? Yeah. See, I don't have any. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's See? the great thing. I don't have rates. That's the best part I of it. Just figure it out. Do you just take points on the back end? That's that's record talk. Yeah, except people don't sell records anymore. So now the the new thing that somebody was telling me about is that you take percentages off of any sync licenses or any kind of usage of songs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because there's no use taking percentages of sales because there aren't any. Mm-hmm. So you take percentages of, instead of masters, like, and some people ask for like SoCan or whatever, but sure. But even you're, you know, somebody no money advised anyway. me. Yeah. What's that? SoCan's not real money, like compared to publishing money or something. Depends on, depends on the, what, you know, if you, if you're smart with SoCan, you put all your set lists and stuff like sure, become become slightly real money. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, so somebody told me what they do, which I haven't actually done yet, but I've spoken to people about. You know, if we're working on something and you know we have a an arrangement and there's songs that you know we've definitely had more of a part in than just you know putting the microphones up. You know, like sure. I have a very very creative part in things that I do like I'm not I'm very fair I'm not going to feel slighted or anything but you know it's like if you get a Tim Hortons commercial like or a like an old navy commercial or something like that like just you know I mean I guess I should formally arrange it or something like that just be aware of like what music sonically goes into the creation of music absolutely when you're going forward with you know licensing and things like that you know when when you're you're producing and things like when do you produce do you offer up suggestions of structure or are you more of a capture the, when you're working with bands, no, you capture it? And... Very, very hands-on. Yeah. And very in the trenches with it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I get very in, I get very into things that I like about songs. And sure. I mean, mostly I do like to hear how people play together. Yeah. Um, but at, at, I do like to discuss, you know, songs and how songs are structured and things like that and i'm not i'm not very invasive though like i i I don't tell somebody i don't tell somebody what to do or what not to do in any way shape or form you know i just sort of i just sort of you know wherever it's comfortable and however it's working like if it makes sense to um you know it's change something that's you know, like if if it comes to solo sections or something, I'm, I I really like instrumental sections of songs. Right. So I often will suggest that they become, if someone's like, oh, I really need a bridge. I often say, you don't need a bridge. You just need an instrumental section that's different from the rest of the song because it becomes its own bridge. That's true. It's a neat way of so. thinking about it. Yes, you're right. Because writing a, a bridge for the sake of writing a bridge is not necessarily the right thing to do. No, I mean, most are bad. Most bridges are bad, right? That's true. They're written at the wrong time. and do you, I, I mean, some are great. I remember yeah. having a... I was on a phone interview at the same time as Martin Tielli, and I said, I never know how to write any bridges. And mm. he's like, I feel like my songs are all just bridges put together. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense because it's so... 
a number of his songs just are like parts that go from one part to another and don't necessarily return. That's true. That's I always, I always I, yeah. I got into a mode like years ago where I wanted to write a song that had an ending rather than that the bridge wasn't a bridge, but it actually finished like. Um, it um it went yeah. into a different direction, maybe a different time signature. Yeah, but yeah. The sail I, away. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea of um a lot of bridges I write were by accident and there wasn't any a lot of thought put into them. And that's usually if the bridge stuck, then that was the one that made that song for me feel feel better or more like I felt better about it because there was a bridge, it felt completed. Yeah. But the uh, the idea of a bridge is you're right. The whole idea of like, this is what I do. I go down to the minor, you know, and I, That's right. <laughs> it's like, this is what I do. I know. I just never, I never, I always struggle with bridges. Really? Just turn off your head. Just stop thinking and then just go wherever you think you're going to go. That's usually yeah. because it's fluke, right? Everything is like, to me, music Did you say is, it's all flute? It's, it's all a flute. Put right? a flute in? It's a, yeah, put, put a flute, flute in. <laughs> put a flute. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's all a, transpose it. Just transpose it up a, a, a um. But it has to be jazz a, flute though. Yeah, jazz just flute. like a flute, a flute chords on flute. You know when you can hear the guy's voice as well as the flute. Yeah, that is a flute that I like to hear. That's my yeah. favorite flute. I think we <laughs> we've been nattering. This is what we did last week too. We should do this once a week, Jim Bryson. Every Monday. Every Monday is have a natter. <laughs> Simon Natter. It's just a natter, just nattering. Looks about like stuff. we got. Looks like your podcast is about to turn into a different podcast. <laughs> but everybody, everybody says that it's fun hearing people talk. So this is we're giving you plenty of that right now, folks. I hope you edit this. Oh no, man, it's all good. It's all good stuff. Especially the part where he's like, "Hey, can you stop for a second? I got to go do something." That's the part, and then it's quiet because I'm waiting for you to come back. <laughs> that's going oh in it's going to be it's going to be all, all quiet all silence go and close some doors absolutely yeah yeah find my pajama pants that's what i went to do oh you went to change the pajama pants oh good for you no i went to find them at least. oh right they're not really pajama pants it's more like long johns like honeycomb mm-hmm. long johns because it's so cold in your house that's why it's just that time of year that's what we call a callback that's i don't know much about radio but that's what i call a callback yeah i um Thanks for thanks for doing this, man. And and you know this is going to come out when the album comes out, and uh, it'll be it'll be nice and tight. It'll be a tight, um, cohesive conversation. I could talk to you all night. That's that's to me is the fear. I don't want to ruin the magic. Yeah, I'll give you very very um, very cohesive, uh, self edited um, answers that that almost feel like I want the interview to be over from this point on. Okay. Hey, Jim, tell me about your new Hard album. To say. Hard to say. <laughs> so, uh, you're in Ottawa? Depends. <laughs> um, I heard that you like the snow. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just hard to say these days. Mm. This is great. Um, what kind of car do you drive? Hyundai. Mm. Awesome. See, now I don't want to be on this anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. What else? Do you, oh, here's the other good one that ends the interviews. You got anything else to add? <clears throat> yeah, people ask, is there anything else you'd like to say about this or that? Mm. Just to make sure we get the full story of you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think you got it all. I um, think you guys, you got it all. 
I think the fact that we can talk about this and we have the means to do this, I think we're fully exploiting the fact that this is what we're doing. And I thank yeah. you so much for doing this. And you know what? Let's do it again in person if you come by the Toronto area. And, yeah. And I talk to you a little bit about what I want maybe possibly to work with you on. And, yeah. and if that comes into fruition. This is the end of the interview. This is. This is. You feel it? You feel wow. it coming down now? Wow. You, I have, feel like we never talked about my record, so it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you, have anything, you have anything to add about your album? Um, how yeah, awesome it is? You got anything to add? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's great. You like that? What's your Twitter? No, good. What's your Twitter? <laughs> Want a Snapchat? Um, I don't. Isn't that for? Isn't that for showing your wiener? Isn't that what Snapchat's all about? Showing your wiener? Yeah. Well, that's what we'll do next time. I oh, guess. right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I um. um yeah. When are you come to Toronto, actually, that's a, that's a valid question. February twenty fifth. Okay. Well, then let's do one in person. The then, February twenty fifth. And uh, I, it'll be on a different interview, but uh, like I said, I could talk all day. And maybe it's because you're you're in your house, and when it time when you are in Toronto, you'll be too busy doing like band stuff or Jim Bryson stuff. We do have two shows that day. Yeah, so that'll be tough. When are you? Where are you playing? Do you know the Burdock? Oh, cool. Okay, I'm coming. I've never been there. Mm. I hear good things. Yeah, I hear that it uh, has a nice PA. You and your guitar, or are you going to do it with a band? I'm doing it with a band. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, thanks so much for doing the show, Jim. Yeah. Jim Bryson, everybody. Always a good time. Thanks for doing that, Jim. Good times. Go check out his show. And go, like we mentioned before, and actually go pick up his album somewhere we will find our place. And enjoy that record because it's pretty good i liked it there's some really really cool cool songs on that album thanks everybody to fetchclass.com fetchclass.com the place to go learn a lesson over a video conference please go there go check it out go sign up go check it out inside recorders go send your songs have them mixed i'm trying to actually go through this process where i actually don't need to work during the day anymore and those two sites are going to be the my ticket out of that hellhole that I work at right now. I'm just kidding. It's not a hellhole. But it's, it'd, be my, it'd be kind of fun to be self-sufficient and an entrepreneur in life one day. One day, everybody. Go to applelock.ca and click on all those banners. Banggood being one of them. Banggood, you, if you're into RC toys or if you're into stuff, if you're into dildos, they have marital aids there. And they ship it to you like it's... Um, I know Amazon does, too you're getting from uh, China. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they used. Bango.com. Musiciansfriend.com is a place to go shop or click on the Musician's Friend banner. Bookmark that. Click on the Amazon banners and help support the show. Go to the Apolog.ca slash shop and shop for stuff there. Shirts, my discography, and pre-order the acoustic album. Don't forget to pledge the show. Patreon.com slash Apolog. Pledge as little as you want. Cancel any time. Sports, gas fees, and host fees. I got two hobbits. Michael Pitts and Curtis Pippen. Follow the show on Facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. And don't forget to subscribe. This is important. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Because that's how the they... It's a popularity contest, apparently, so you have to 
give me some stars and it puts me up the ladder and it makes me seen and i'm actually only on the fourth row where personal journals are which is pretty cool but i'd like to be in that front page so it gets sort of seen and put in light and then maybe people i don't know will listen to this show if you want to contact me go to appalock.ca slash contact and help me out write me some mail tell me what you like about the show tell me what you don't like about the show and i will always reply to mail if you want to be on the show if you know someone that might want to be on the show that's a good place to do that too yeah man so thanks next week next week next week everybody do you know who's coming on the show next week do you do i i do you know who it's gonna be it's gonna be snow everybody yes the informer snow is gonna be on my show i've known snow for a good 15 years I was trying for about a year to get him on the show, and I finally got him on the show, everybody. Yes, Snow, the informer, on my show next week. He's a good dude. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting the show. Everybody, we'll see you next week. I'll be here. Bye.